Well, we're making our way at the Proclaim 18 NRB convention here. This has been an incredible year. Every year I come, I say that. But it's really the people that you meet at the convention because folks literally come from all over the United States, and you never know who you're going to meet from Seattle. Like Carrie Abbott, I'm trying to remember. Oh, I know. We were at the Focus on the Family right, reception, the reception on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Is that right, Carrie? That's right. The Focus on the Family reception. Got into this really neat dialogue with Jim Daly. <laughs> yes. So anyway, Carrie Abbott, welcome to Bot Radio Network. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you and so fun to meet you. And as you said, everybody here is from all over the, the country and beyond. And everybody is interested in how media of some form can get God's message out, which is what we're all passionate about. So get a group of yes. people like that together and things are about to happen, right? Well, you were hanging out with June Hunt. June is one of my Loved favorite you. ladies. We were actually a couple years ago at the premiere of Samson, the Sight and Sound Theater. Have you ever seen Sight and Sound? I know, but I've seen Samson. Okay, Sight and Sound is where the Bible comes to life. Oh, that's you know, okay. Those dramatic that's productions. Samson. They have oh, a theater my. in Branson and they have one in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Where I it need originated. To see that. Yeah, and they had the red carpet premiere a couple of years ago of Samson. Now, Samson now is being shown in Branson. Every two years they'll switch, and a brand new production is getting ready is to start right? called Jesus. So nice. it's the first time in the history of Sight and Sound that they've done that. Well, anyway, June and I were invited for the red carpet premiere, and it was a treat to hang out with her for yes. several days up yes. in Lancaster. But you have a radio ministry, but before we get into the details of what you do on the radio, I really want to talk, Carrie, about your home life because it's hard to believe you're a grandma. You've (laughs) got five, is it five grandchildren? We have, yes, my husband and I have five grown kids and we have five grandchildren. I do host a daily radio show in Seattle. I'm the president of the Legacy Institute, which is a ministry that helps people strengthen their relationships and equips them and empowers them to live in agreement with their male or female design. They only get one, designed by God. So we produce curriculum. We produce Bible studies. You know that's not politically correct. Well, of course I know that. (laughs) But, you know, I have discovered living in Seattle, not only does God want us to be winsome and grace-filled, but people want truth, and especially if they feel respected in how they're receiving it. So it's important for those of us who want to deliver truth that we put it in vehicles that are pleasant, that are kind, that are gracious. There's no person who doesn't struggle. The area of sexuality is probably where the the biggest stories are right now with struggling and addiction. But we need to be careful to not patronize or to disrespect people in their journey. And once people have figured that out, then we become safe. And they want to hear what we have to say. They may not agree right away, but they definitely want to hear. It seems to me, Carrie, that all of us are on a journey of identity, discovering so true. who we are. So true. And unfortunately, some of us veer off in different ways that are yes. not based on the Bible. Right. I remember what it was like for me before I was a Christian. You know, I mean, you could be open to all kinds of That's so true. You know, ideas mm-hmm. and beliefs and thoughts right. of life. But there is a standard when you take the Bible and use that as your gauge. I remember in, in Bible college, I had a professor that said, you know, never take the Bible down to the issue. Right. Bring your issue up to the Bible. That's right. Well, and the Bible itself has given us blueprints. In fact, we that's what we do at our institute is help take those blueprints. And, for instance, if people want to get something free, they could go to the LegacyInstitute.com and download five blueprints for every grade that teach healthy relationships in kindergarten, in first grade, second grade. God has outlined all of those. And it's not just about the hot topics. It's about the basics. What does it mean to be a boy? What does it mean to be a girl? What does it mean to love? What does family mean? Why are children important? Why does the Bible say they're always a gift from God? There's some formative 
things that we need to teach kids that aren't the hot topics. Now, we do cover the hot topics, but those are clearly spelled out in other places. When you look at that and how we've kind of made a shift as a society, I mean, is there one particular thing you can look at or point to that has caused us to drift from in our generation, which we knew a boy and a girl, there wasn't the issue of gender, you know, there was female sex and the male sex. Right. I think we are in an exponential time, meaning things are changing so rapidly, and part of it has to do with legislation. The judiciary has stepped in and made decisions. The Supreme Court made a decision about same-sex marriage. It had no business making. And most people before then thought, no, that's not right, but I'm not going to judge people. Now there's a very big push. However, I believe, I really do believe this, that people are going to push so hard in the other direction that the pendulum will eventually swing back. And we'll need to be ready for those what we call sexual refugees, people who tried the other way stepping out of God's prescriptions for human flourishing and they'll come with their pain and we need to have solutions for them as well. But I can tell you that you mentioned something really important. Everybody's on the journey of identity. The teen years, the tween years are the most important. So tween and teen, which is why you see a lot of teenagers and 12, 13 year olds searching for identity. And now because they believe they can choose their gender, And if you don't mind me explaining the difference, we're born with a biological sex. There are some people who believe that you can still choose your gender, which is how you socially basically administer that reality. The Bible teaches us to be integrated and whole, which means your sex is the same as your gender. Here's what it means to be male. Here's how you live that out. People who are confused, struggling with their identity are saying, I understand that's my biology, but it's not who I am. That's where the difference is. Until a few years ago, that would have been unheard of. And now because there's such a push for that confusion, it's people are trying to, they're kind of reeling. Honestly, they're reeling with it. So we're trying to bring calm to that conversation and just say there's truth to be had. You need to teach your kids. Don't let anybody else tell you, including the school district or the teacher or whoever, the news or Disney, because it's all there. Right. Don't let anyone else tell your kids this truth. You need to tell them you are the same inside and out. And that's why we exist, to help people do that in conversation. Well, give us your backstory. I mean, did you have that environment where you were raised with Christian values in your home? Actually, I am one of those fortunate people raised in a loving Christian home. Not perfect, because there isn't a perfect one. But parents who modeled for me a masculinity and a femininity that made sense. I believed at a very young age that God loved me. So I actually, as one of those people, I didn't actually veer off of that. I met my one only boyfriend at Bible school. So I'm kind of the Pollyanna of the bunch. But God told me, I want to call you to the ministry of teaching people how to live sexually pure. Absolutely surprised me. And yet I feel so honored to be able to join forces with the rest of my colleagues, many who are here, teaching the truth about relationships. And I've been doing that since about 30 years now, since my kids were young. And we have five kids. I don't know how to say it. We're just fortunate. And our children have had their own journeys, and they are amazing people, not perfect. And we now have five grandkids, and so we're still on that journey. I think that's not just something that we deal with here in the United States. I mean, this is something that impacts cultures all around the world. Yes. I have a friend that leads a ministry down in Wynn, Arkansas, Mississippi. It's just a little small town, but Millie Lace has a ministry called Concepts of Truth, and it's a post-abortion ministry that has developed yes. nationwide, right. and she's even gotten favor with an NGO at the UN and speaks, and she gets leaders from nations from China and all parts right. of the world are saying, we want your material in Okay, this is, you're going to laugh. Millie's reached out to me. Are I actually serious? have connected with Millie. Well, this is the thing. When you care about God's kingdom work and you don't care about branding your own work, 
you're always reaching out. You're always trying to say, what are you doing there? How can I support wow. you? And I'm thrilled to say that that's always been the way the Lord has shown me. This is never about us. Yeah. It's always about his story. It's always about him and people's view of him. Sexual sin or confusion is just another way to look at God and say, you lied to me. You're not honest. You're not good. You did not make your creation good. Because when God made male and female, he said it's very good. When he made people, he finished the story and said, this is this whole creation is beautiful. Anytime a person looks at their own body and says, this is not good, they are really saying something about God, not about themselves. And that's where people need to remember it's always a spiritual thing. It's not just yes. about our own story. Well, Carrie, what was the button that got pushed? We need to create this institute. Was there one thing? I that- had actually been invited to go to a training for a crisis pregnancy center many years ago by another woman who was very close to me, an older woman, and she said, I want you to go to this training. I had no desire to do it. I just did it to honor her. And that has been a, a really, that's been a path in my life. When somebody who I respect and honor gives me counsel, I take it. And so I went to the training and God said, guess what? You get to speak on abstinence. I'm like, no, I don't want to stand up in front of others, people and talk about sex. I'm fairly modest, right? <laughs> And yet I started that 29, 30 years ago. And after working with the Pregnancy Center and starting programs and training nationally, we went pretty yeah. big with it. We had 50 people in a speaker's bureau in Seattle, which is not, this is not no, a small thing. Not at all. The Lord put on my heart that we needed to create an institute to create better materials for parents and leaders and get to the leaders, get to the ones influencing the kids. And, of course, parents first and all the other delegates that they have in their life, the youth pastor and other coaches, et cetera, but parents first. And God said, honor my authority process and I will honor what you teach. So we started the institute in 2001. We have all kinds of materials and resources, and then the radio show started nine years ago. You know, you look at the family, such a fragmented institution today. And, it is, And so, yes. you, you know, you're not seeing mom and dad. Of course, I came from a single-parent home myself. Your situation was different. But more of our stories are repeated like mine today. It's true. You know, increasing like that. Yes. And the pressures on single moms trying to raise a family. Oh, single moms and single dads are heroes. Exactly. They're heroes. But you know something? There is a trend in this next generation. Cohabitation in the early 1900s used to be virtually zero. Now it's 60% of all first-time marriages will have lived together first. Now people get upset about that, and they should. But the reality is this generation doesn't want divorce. See, they want the pendulum to swing back to faithfulness. They think if they test it like a car, and of course they're wrong. That's not how it works. The data tells us they're actually putting their future marriage at risk. But that's not what their heart is. Their heart is to actually have a marriage that works, which should tell us something. When we've experienced the pain of family breakdown, Usually the next generation says, I don't want that. I want what works, right? So the church can never give up on the fact that what God prescribed in Genesis, he's still prescribing today, and he wants us to do it in the best winsome way with grace and love and truth that we can. Sin has distorted it all. We know that since the garden. Uh, It is your on that identity journey. Right. Hey, the right thing is for one man to be married to one woman and for a lifetime commitment. Yes. Yes. I, I believe that God has made each person in his image with design features that draw them to his prescription. I really do. When I look at somebody struggling, I need to look past the struggle, past the behavior, and not say, that's you. Your identity is that you're made in the image of God. Something has caused you to think that that's a solution, and usually it's pain. 
it's not usually that they're horrible or a villain. If somebody listening right now has a child who's acting out, I would encourage you not to think it's because they're a bad child, but something may have happened you don't know about. Or they are dabbling in sin and need rescue with grace. Even as a parent, it's hard to be gracious because we get upset. But you and I both know, Byron, we need to actually give grace. Case in point, I I hear stories of Christian families that have teenage kids and, and their son or daughter saying, Mom, I'm gay. What are they basing that upon? I mean, they haven't had a sexual experience. So true. Yeah, What is the question is, what is your definition of gay? Exactly. Now, the table of sin, the opportunity to sin is greater because we've, we've added more to it. Junior high and high school are a confusing time. So let's say you're socially not adept. Let's say you're a kid who feels on the outs, which a lot of them do. You realize now, hey, I don't have to socially adjust my behavior and become a good citizen and well-rounded and and have social capital. I can actually just say, well, I'm bi or I'm gay or I'm a lesbian or I'm, I'm this other gender. There's 62 names now. It gives them an out. Instead of becoming who God intended, they can stay in their confusion, sadly, and try all these other things. So my encouragement to parents is don't freak out. But ask questions. Why do you think that? What's going on? And on our site, one of the things you and I both I'm, could say this, on our radio show that we have, Relationship Insights, we have the best minds and the best hearts and, and experts in all of these areas who've been on the show that we encourage people to download the free shows. Yeah. And, and there's one saying, Mom and Dad, I'm gay. What do I do? So people can go and find those shows. Talk about some of the other issues that you deal in your radio show. Byron, we cover them all. I don't want people to get stuck on the toughest ones. The transgender issue is very difficult. Homosexuality, all of those issues. But, you know, I think we could go back even to the issue of let's look at ourselves and say, if God were to prescribe a balancing act in this culture, what would he prescribe that his people do? What he keeps telling me is, I want you to be more like my son. I want you to move towards holiness, not self-righteousness, not piousness, but humble holiness. What does that look like? And for some reason, that seems to work because when he gives grace to the humble, he gives us more power and authority to, to reach the lost, to reach the hurting, to reach whoever. I think that's a very important message the church cannot forget. We don't want to sit around and wring our hands and not have hope. We have hope. We have the most hope. Yes. But do we have answers? Do we have the research we need? Do we have the vehicles that are positive for this generation to reach them? So true. And I I appreciate when we were in that meeting the other night with Jim Daly, something he said, the changes in generation and all these issues of gender and sex and, and everything that's happening, the chaos that's happening all around us. What is the church's response. How are we supposed to respond to this? I mean, often we're saying, oh, you got to stop doing that and point fingers. That's not how we engage culture with the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's so well said. We need to be bridge builders. Now, listen, that doesn't mean be compromisers. Not at all. Building a bridge takes a lot of foundation, but but building the right bridge. I love what my pastor says. He says, compassion without compromise. There's a balance. Well, that's the balance of grace and truth that Jesus modeled, and that's really any of us with a microphone or any of us who are trying to reach people. The reason the Bible says, woe to you who are teachers— because I'm sure that we need to have the filter first. What did Jesus communicate in his, in his teaching? And the first was, you are loved unconditionally. You can never be bad enough or good enough to, re- to get God's love. We need to start with that yeah. and then go into the issues and be good listeners and be profound teachers. I believe that we need to do our homework. We need to find the best person on every issue, which is what gives us, you and I, a benefit. Yeah. 
and let them communicate and the rest of us need to get behind them. Instead of trying to reinvent the wheel all the time, every pastor, every church does not have wisdom for everything. Yeah. We need to be unified so we can point to one another quickly and say, this situation here, hey, I know so-and-so. That's what I would say to you. My favorite thing about radio, Byron, is that we now have access to the greatest minds and hearts on all the issues that God wants to speak about in this generation. Let's go back, Carrie, to the relationships that tweens and teens have. As we talk about identity, as we talk about the issue of bullying, you know, oh, yes. which is really big. It's horrible. And we look at situations like we saw 17 kids that were killed out in Florida. Yeah. Former student evidently had some real issues, you know. Yes. Whether he was bullied or not, I remember going to school and there were certain people who just got picked on all the time. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, right. No, that's true. I, that is a very complex situation. But the life of a teen, I can say this, from the teens that I work with to family to dear friends that are teachers, whether it's public or private school, the pressure on teens and tweens now is so great that they are neurologically breaking down. So that means rather than having peace and calm, they're always in a fight or flight mode, which means they'll be bad decision makers. They won't sleep well. They are interrupted all the time on their phones. We do a lot on our show about social media and also technology. I'm a big fan of don't get the smartphone till they're 13. We now know from the medical community that it's changing their brain wiring. We now know that addiction's happening. I don't know if you saw the Olympics, but... They had the most incredible technology, oh but they goodness. also said they also have the most rehab centers for technology. I saw that. So you can take a good and turn it into a bad by human addiction, yeah. which means we always overdo. I mean, food is good right, until right. you have too much, yeah, and then yeah. too much TV, yeah. then it's bad. So I'd say the same thing. But the teens now are not good at balancing their life. And this is where I would say to any adult listening to us, step in and become that bridge to your child. Don't let them push you out. They need you. They actually want you to pursue them. I have a friend back in Memphis and he has a a ministry and he wrote a book called Tech Savvy Parenting, Brian Hausman. Have you met Brian? Actually, I have have that book sitting on my desk because I get all the books sent to me. Okay, that's a book you need to read. Okay, And you need to have Brian on your show sometime. And I have other tech savvy guys who are similar to him, but I I thought that book looked really good. He has a ministry called 360 Family. He does conferences. He speaks all over the United States, but he yeah. bases out of Memphis. Right. Actually, it's really neat. A local Fox News affiliate in Memphis for several years on Friday mornings would bring Brian on live to talk about so family smart. issues. This isn't a Christian you know, right. media. This is, right. They're used, but he's winsome enough to be exactly. trusted. Exactly. People that's are good. hungry for this, too. They are. Well, that's the thing I think the church needs to remember. Most parents, I would say the vast majority, not only care about their kids, they're good parents, they're good people. They may not prescribe to all of our Christian beliefs, but they, again, are made in God's image with the design features drawing them to biblical truth, whether they know it's biblical or not. So the church wants to be ready to provide basic truth in a really pleasant way so people can start taking it in. Let's not make it so hard for people. So how do you do all this? I mean, you're running an institute. You're doing a radio show. You've got five grandchildren, which to me is the highest calling. I've got two grandchildren, and I love being a grandpa. Poppy is what they call me. Great name. You know, I, I just love the relationship. And can we talk a little bit about our relationship as grandparents? Because it's such a vital thing. Even as we talk about single-parent homes today, and we look at so many of how the grandparent plays a vital role 
in the nurturing and raising. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken with, and they say, you know, it was my grandmother who took me to church. It was my grandmother yes. who told me about Jesus yes. and spent that time with me. And I like having dates with my grand. She's five years old, but I yeah. go pick her up and take her to the park or mm-hmm. take her to a movie, take her to get ice cream, just the two of us. Right. We have a vital role still to connect with oh, our grandchildren. Indeed. I think the grandparenting movement is catching some some air right now. There's a lot of people getting together, legacy groups that are getting together and saying, grandparents, not only is retirement not in the Bible, but yeah. you have more profound impact than you understand. We, My husband and I just had four of our five grandkids stay for the weekend. And what was that like? Wonderful. <laughs> they, we're close to them. They know us. They're comfortable. It's not a reentry. Every time they're used to staying with us. So what would you guys well, do? Well, so what I did to set up the weekend, because we had other things, I had a memorial service to go to, so we took turns with the kids. He takes them skiing. We're, we're a very close yeah. family. I had 25 Bible verses printed out, and I just said, if you want to memorize one, I have a whole bunch of candy you can earn. Well, that's, you know, every grandparent should try that. <laughs> Bribe your grandkids is what I say, because if you want them to do something— yeah. They need, you know, to be encouraged. I like that because our kids always say, do not give her any candy. But I can say, hey, well. The- well, you know, I think with respect to the parents, I think if it's during the day, and of course they can earn it, and then they can dole it out at home. There's exactly. Ways you totally. Can do it. But I like that. Yeah. Well, that's one thing. We also plan other fun things with them. I created bedrooms for them. Okay, we we have five kids and they're grown and gone, so I have space. So we now have a grandchildren's suite. So when my grandkids come over, they know this isn't just grandma and grandpa's house. We have a space that they want us in. They, I have a library for them because I homeschooled. I was a homeschooling yeah, mom yeah. with my five kids. So I kept all of my stuff so that my next generation of little offsprings could come over and feel like they're at another home that really is home. And our home won't change. And when their parents are tired, we have energy for them. And, boy, I'll tell you something. I am a, a, such a fan of parents. I remember what it was like when my kids were oh, small. Oh, Totally. But I am, like you, I'm very intentional about wanting to speak into my grandkids' life. We did have a session on what sin was. Believe it or not, this doesn't happen all the time. But they had memorized, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I said, do you know what, we talked about what it means to, you know, fall short. And that all have sinned. So we got the bullseye and the little arrows out because it means missing the mark. And I wanted to kept trying to hit the bullseye. And I kept saying, oh, you're missing that center. Oh, that's too bad. And then they learned it means missing the mark. It's, you know, that term. They're never going to forget that. No, and then I, they had more questions, of course, because they're grandchildren, and they asked yeah. more questions about what sin was. And I talked, we talked about a whole bunch of things. It was fantastic. How do people connect with the Legacy Institute? Basically online. You're so sweet for asking. Well, listen, we'd love to serve your listeners. And again, we have a lot of free material. So there's two places they can go: thelegacyinstitute.com. They can download for free the blueprints. They can start teaching their children and grandchildren on healthy relationships right away. We have other resources they can look into and curriculum for schools and churches. At CarrieAbbott.com, they can download for free all of our podcasts with all of our experts on relationships and sexuality. And I would encourage them to do that as well. In the privacy of their home, they can listen when they have time and they can learn and they can reach out to us if they need some help. You know, we cannot lose sight, Carrie, of the fact that Hope is on our side. Amen. Victory is Amen. on our side. Amen. You know, even though we're being encompassed by all the negativity in our society, we've got the answer. You know, as you say that, Byron, it, it reminds me that it's a blessing that we are that we see it. 
let's just say everybody was pretending and we didn't see the sin or we didn't see the pain and the sorrow and the acting out. We would not be so quick to say, these people need Jesus. We all can feel it. We know they do. I would say it's a blessing in disguise that we see the ugliness that they have to endure by the choices they're making that causes us to say, we have to be at the ready every day. We can't wait until things are really bad. They're really bad. So it causes us to actually want to get about what we're here for, which is the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is nobody listening to us that is too far from his love. There's no sin too great. Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. Same-sex struggle is not the unpardonable sin. Transgendered surgery is not the unpardonable sin. They all are one moment away from God's forgiveness and his redemption. And that I have seen and heard over and over again. I can tell you, I am 100% confident that God can work in anyone's life, starting with my own, and I am so grateful for that. And I don't want anyone to ever miss that oh, message. I sure don't. I'm so thankful he works in my life. Amen. You know, and I need it too. Amen. Well, you're not a solo. Do you have a team that helps you? I have a team We, have, we because we do radio and produce a radio show, and we have obviously our websites. And when we do a project, we hire extra video production teams and writers and authors, and it depends on the season that we're in. When we put on events in Seattle, like a father-daughter ball, then, of course, we'll need more volunteers. But we're a pretty small organization. And like many nonprofits, it's amazing what God gives us opportunity to do at the size that we are. What excites you most about what you do? Honestly, the platform he's given me, and this was by his choice, was relationships and that education and sexuality. But my passion is the gospel. I'm an evangelist at heart, and I thank him for that platform because apparently in this world, that's where we're going to meet a lot of people in their pain. And that's where we need to be available for people in their pain. I heard somebody say at this convention already that 1% or not much higher than that actually shares the gospel, shares their faith with people. That's just unthinkable. It's unthinkable, but I think it's, again, it's because people assume somebody's already said it. That's why I believe that when you can see the pain, take it as a blessing. Do not judge people. Just pray for an opportunity to share the gospel. They may not go to your church, but they'll go to your house for coffee. You know, one of my favorite things that I just learned about that's been going on for some time are dinner churches that are popping up all over the place. People are, churches are offering dinner church, saying, come have dinner, watch an artist paint a picture while somebody preaches. They'll never go to that church, but they're going into that room to have food, which is kind of how Jesus worked. He did a lot of food, (laughs) a lot of food and a lot of faith together. I'm encouraging everyone to try that. Yeah, use those creative avenues, you know. (laughs) Let's not get so boxy with we talk about communicating the gospel. That's right. Again, it's that compassion without compromise, not compromising the message. Not diluting the message. Oh, no. Because the message is so pure. The message is so, so healing and wonderful. You're yes. right. But how it's delivered can come in many packages. Well, and I, I would say, Byron, that's our biggest challenge, those of us who've been in the church a long time, starting with myself. I grew up in the church. I didn't rebel. I actually really love Jesus and his church. But we have to be ready to talk to the person who's living now. Not 20 years ago, not 40 years ago, where they are now. And I think that is an obligation we all need to take seriously. Carrie, this has been so refreshing just to hear your heart and, you know, hear about the Institute. Thank you. And I know it's given some folks encouragement knowing that they can get these resources on your website. Give that address again, please. It's thelegacyinstitute.com. 
So T-H-E, LegacyInstitute.com. And we would love to serve you. And if you have difficult issues that you don't know where to go, we can point you to some of the best minds in the country and are happy to serve you that way. All right. Carrie Abbott, God bless you, my dear sister. Thank you for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom. Oh, you too, Byron. It's so great to be with you. How fun we get to meet here at NRB. What a great opportunity. Boy, this has been great. Friends, you've been listening for this past half hour as we broadcast from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. It's Proclaim 18. We're having a great time. Thank you for joining us. That's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.